love for you to be there with me. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. It's good to see you this morning, beautiful morning. Glad that we get to be together to worship. If you haven't filled out an attendance card, please do that. Visitors and members alike, pass it to either end of the aisle. We'll pick that up in a bit, but we appreciate your doing that for us. Good to see you on this uh, Sunday morning. I guess nothing gets folks riled up more so than talking about money and politics, religion, all in, all in one setting, maybe. That's what we do here with Matthew 22. This is one of those classic confrontations between these people who tried to trap Jesus and Jesus. They tried to get him to say something he shouldn't say, something that would get him in trouble with one group or another. There were these various factions, as there are in any political situation, any kind of culture. There are factions that compete with one another. And, uh, and, and they, they try to kind of get Jesus to say something that's going to get him in trouble with one or the other. And this one, they thought they'd come up with a pretty good one. You, were, you remember some of the others that they had. You know, they would say, like... Somebody, um, you know, this woman married this man, and he died, and she married his brother, and he died, and she married another brother, and then all seven of the brothers, and didn't have any children. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? They would come up with all these hypotheticals and try to trip Jesus, try, try to trip him up, you know? They never did, and this is, this is another one like that, and it has to do with money, and it has to do with politics, and it has to do with, with the government. We read this text earlier, so I'm not going to read it all in its entirety now. We'll kind of walk through it a bit together over the next few minutes. But I want you to think about where we are. Let's jump ahead for a minute and think about us. There seems to me to be differing attitudes toward government among American Christians, among conservative Christians different attitudes toward government. Some, certainly there are different perspectives from on, the, on the spectrum. One is conservative, one is liberal, and we've got people all along that spectrum in between those two extremes. But I'm not so much thinking about a conservative or a liberal perspective on politics as I am an attitude toward government itself. It seems as if you've got different attitudes. You've got You've got a, a, some that suggest kind of a complete disengagement from government that we ought not really be engaged in any form. This goes back, has a, has a rich history among Christians as a matter of fact. In fact, it goes back as far as Churches of Christ to, to uh, no less than someone like David Lipscomb in the 19th century who was very much of a, you know, a disengaged from government kind of person. And that has a movement in Churches of Christ that's that's uh, pretty prominent in some parts of the church. Not so much in southern churches, for the most part, though. Southern churches of Christ typically are more engaged in government or think we ought to be more engaged, more involved in the political process, and so on. So we get different perspectives on this. It seems as if we can easily get off balance here. We can easily, I think, come to government with with kind of this utopian idea about what government might do for us. That government is put here to make my life easier, or if we get the right people in the right places, then they're going to be able to accomplish a lot of the things that we want to be accomplished. And so we need to vote right, 
and we need to influence right in hopes that good things, good moral things, good religious things perhaps might come out of that. We've got to be careful, I think, in the way that we Christians think about government. Now, this text doesn't speak to all of those, and I've mentioned some things that even Jesus doesn't address here. Paul would later in Romans 13 kind of, I think, interpret some of what Jesus says here and expand it in talking about government. We're not even going to go to Romans 13 much at all this morning. But I do want you to think, I do want you to think as we read this and as we study this, what kind of hopes do you put in government? What do you think government can do? How much credence do you put in getting the right people in the right places, enacting the right policies in the right way? What, what, kind of, what kind of hope do you have with that? I think those are legitimate questions that Jesus is indirectly addressing here. I don't want to anachronistically take our present day you know, two-party system and put it back in this Roman kind of government system. It's not like that. Jesus was existing in a different kind of political system entirely. But nonetheless, he is talking about taxes and he is talking about government, so it has something to say to us today. Those things are consistent across cultures. Now let's look at it. Matthew 22, and we're going to study these eight verses together for a little bit this morning, thinking about how they relate to God's people today. Show me the coin. Show me the money. These Pharisees went and plotted how they're going to trip him up in his words. And so let's talk about the two groups that are represented here. You notice them in verse 15 and also verse 16, the Pharisees and the Herodians. I'll tell you a little bit about a couple of historical things. You may know something about Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were one of the main Jewish sects of the day. They were the traditionalists. They were the, they were the ones that were concerned about making sure we keep the law, dot the I's, cross the T's, get everything right. And if we do that, if we keep the law perfectly... And if we don't turn to idols and if we keep the law, if we do a really good job of that, then the Messiah will come. Then God is going to respond to our obedience and he's going to bless us if we keep the law. And so that's why they came up with all these regulations and rules and systems to help you keep the law. Because they thought that if you did that, then God's blessings would come. Messiah would come. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That doesn't sound too bad. Pharisee is probably a bad word in your mind, but... It wasn't a bad word in the first century. It, was, it became a bad word because really they, their motives turned into something, something bad and they turned it into a legalistic kind of system most likely. But the Pharisees did not like Roman oppression. They didn't want Rome to be there. They didn't want the Jewish people to, to be subservient to Rome. And so they despised this tax. Now this is... I'm not too good at Latin. This coin on the screen is a coin that I'm gonna I'm gonna actually gonna read it to you what it what it says. I believe this coin says this. If this if this may not be this may not be the right coin exactly. But what the coin would have said back in Jesus' day is on the front of it it would have said Divus et Pontifex Maximus. And this had been minted by Emperor Tiberius, okay? And what those Latin words meant were, get this, on a coin that these Jewish people were to pay once a year to Rome out of tribute to them for occupying their land. If you know anything about the way the Jewish people felt about Roman occupation, just, just, just make you cringe, okay? They were to pay 
this coin, one denarius every year, to the government to help them occupy the land, to pay for the soldiers, to pay for you know whatever it took for these Roman oppressors <coughs> to occupy Judea. And on the coin it said, about Tiberius, these Latin words said, God and high priest. So, you see the image there? Tiberius on the coin, you see that? And you can see the Maxim, Maximinus, I think there. But anyway, it has to do with, it had on it, God and high priest. So, so you got this idea, you, you've got this thing on the coin. They got this coin, and they're supposed to take this coin, and it's got two problems with it, right? <laughs> one, co- one problem is, it's got that image there. You remember the very first commandment? This had gotten them in all kinds of trouble historically. You shall not have any other gods before me, and you shall not make unto you any what? Graven image. You don't make any graven image. You don't, you don't put the image of a, of a being, of a god, of, 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 of an emperor, of anything. You don't, you don't make any kind of a graven image and put it on a coin, much less... You put that graven image on a coin and then around the perimeter you call that image God and high priest in reference to Tiberius. How do you think this made the Pharisees feel? And we're expected to take this coin, put it in our hands, our Jewish hands that are dedicated to the worship of the only God, Yahweh. We're we're to take this coin and we're to pay these Romans so that they can occupy our land and we don't even want them here. You see, you see how, how sticky of a deal this was for the Pharisees? They believed that because they had disobeyed the commandments that don't have any other gods before me and don't make any graven images, those two primarily, that is why they had ended up going into captivity for 70 years And not too many years before, God had delivered them from that captivity. And they didn't want to go into captivity. And they were in captivity, sort of. Not exactly like it was before, but they were in captivity. And now they're expected to take this coin, graven image, calling Emperor Tiberius God and high priest, which was a mockery of their faith. And so they come to to Jesus and they say, what do you say? Is this good? Now, it's the Pharisees. Herodians, see them, they're, they're, they're in verse 16. Along with the Herodians, you probably figured this out by the title, the Herodians. The Herodians were, they were, uh, uh, they were kind of like, um, they had made peace with the whole deal. They had made peace. They saw the political benefits of not getting Rome upset. Look. If it takes paying this coin every year to keep Rome happy and keep them happy with us and keep us in our positions of prominence in Judea, pay the coin and stop causing problems over this, guys. Come on. Come on. Everything's okay. They're, they're protecting us. They got the, so we don't like the soldiers. You know, we don't like some of the stuff. <coughs> but we're okay. So that's why they come to Jesus. And you got the Pharisees and the Rhodians. And the, what the Pharisees want Jesus to say is they want him to say, absolutely not. Take that idolatrous coin 
and you don't pay it, and you say to Rome, we're not paying that coin. We're not paying this tax. Ridiculous. We're not going to do it. And the Herodians are wanting Jesus to say, it's perfectly acceptable to pay the coin. In fact, you ought to, you ought to offer your allegiance to Rome. They wanted him to go farther than he did. So Jesus' answer doesn't satisfy either party. Okay, I don't want you to think he, he kind of caters to the Herodians here. He doesn't, but he certainly doesn't cater to the Pharisees. Now, either answer is going to get him in trouble if he sides with one or the other. Can you imagine what it would have been like in that political climate if Jesus had said, don't pay the tax? <laughs> you, you probably know enough about ancient Rome, the Roman Empire at this time, to understand how Rome would have responded if you've got this religious leader coming along and he's got a lot of influence and he's telling the, uh, the Jewish people, don't pay the poll tax, don't pay the tax. That's going to go over really well, right? The answer to that is no. It's not going to go over well at all. But what if he says, what if he says, yeah, perfectly fine to pay the tax. There's nothing wrong with the coin. There's nothing wrong with the image on it. There's nothing wrong with calling Tiberius God and high priest. Nothing wrong with, with that at all. Just pay, give your allegiance to Rome. Well, how, how, how do you think that's going to play among the, just the blue-collar blue worker, the guy who works all day for a denarius, and then he has to turn it over to the Romans for occupying his land, and he doesn't even want them there. So you see what's happening here. This is why they always played it. They always tried to get Jesus to do. One or the other is going to get him in trouble. So you got Jesus' answer here. You with me? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? That's their question. But it's a loaded question. It's not, it's not that simple. It's not just, is it okay to pay taxes? That's not what it's about. It's, it's fine to pay taxes. And Jesus gives that answer here, basically. It's fine to pay taxes. There have been some people who've tried to use the Bible to say, no, we can't pay taxes. The Bible doesn't support that position. Fine to pay taxes. Nothing wrong with that. That's not really what they're asking, though. They didn't have a problem with paying a temple tax. That's a different kind of tax. They had a problem paying the poll tax because that went to Rome and it paid Rome to occupy them. That's, how, that's what they had a problem with. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That was, that was their question. And Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the money. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. That's, that's a standard Roman currency. It is how much you would earn in a day. A blue-collar worker go out at daylight, work from six to six. At the end of the day, the landowner would give him a denarius. That's how much we're talking about. That's how much you earned in a day. Coin I showed you a second ago. God and high priest Tiberius. Is it okay for us to do this? They brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? So, so, so you know, that coin. That coin right there. That, whose image is that? George Washington. Who, whose image is that? This is, this is Caesar. This is Caesar. Jesus' answer is, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we've heard it. You've heard it all your life. This is no surprise to you. You've heard this story. And this is one of Jesus' most off-quoted statements, I guess, right? <clears throat> so it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't shock you. They're, they're, they are amazed by it because of how well it answers the question. 
and yet it does not fall into either ditch. And that was the big deal. It didn't fall into the ditch of, of, um, of just disregarding the hope of the common man, the common day laborer over here, but neither did it appease the Herodians who wanted to just play politics with Rome and, and uh, you know, just go along, get along, all that sort of thing. Jesus' answer was, whose image is this? Whose image is on this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's image. And Jesus then, in all of his infinite wisdom, said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's God's image on it. Pay the tax. But the last part of the statement, he doesn't just say, this is, this is important for us, he doesn't just say, look, it's got his image on it, pay the tax. That's it. It's <coughs> not what he says. Whose image is on it? Well, it's got Caesar's image. Okay, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they would have heard this maybe a little bit differently than you and I hear it because we're not as steeped in Old Testament teaching as they were. But they very well knew that Jesus meant something deeper than just pay the tax. That he had in his mind something beyond that. And he is talking about ultimate allegiance. When he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, he's talking about the image that's on that coin. He's talking about this coin obviously has Caesar's image on it, so you give it to Caesar. But the unspoken thing, it's, it's implied, but, but not, it's not spoken explicitly, but they would have read between the lines is, whose image is on you. Whose image is on you, Pharisee? Whose image is on you, Herodian? On, in every human being, whose image is stamped on you? And they would have very well, very easily had in their mind what the Bible taught, what the law taught back in the book of Genesis. And God created them in his image. Male and female, he created them in his image. It is his superscription. It is his image. It is his, his imprint that is on every human being. And that's why Jesus adds this last part onto this. He doesn't just say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He says, give to God what is God's. And he's making a very subtle statement that they would have grasped. And he is saying to them, pay the tax to Caesar, okay? Pay the tax to Caesar. But remember, your allegiance is not to Caesar because Caesar's image is not on you. Caesar's image is on the coin. God's image is on you. And so you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but more importantly, you give to God everything you are because God's image is on you. And so you render to God 
the things that are God's because you are created in His image. And yeah, He made the coin. He minted the coin. Caesar made the coin. You got the Roman soldiers. This isn't ideal. This isn't what you want. This isn't the way it's always going to be. But understand, that is a temporary situation. It's a temporary government. See, um, everybody knows Tiberius is not God. We know who is God, and that God has stamped his divine image on your soul, and therefore you remember your obligation and your ultimate allegiance, your ultimate devotion is to him. Let's think about, just for a minute, let's think about this. Let's think about what this says to us. Let me challenge, let me challenge us as a people, as a church. Our, our, this, is, this is a hard thing to do uh, because if we try to act like our governmental system is a lot like the way it was then, then we're, it's not. We're wrong. Uh, they didn't vote. Hey, do you want Tiberius or Augustus to be your emperor? You don't, you don't get to say in that. You, know, you, don't, you, don't vote on, you don't vote on who? You don't, you don't vote Republican or Democrat or, or whatever, you, you, don't, you don't vote. So, it, so the systems are different. But there are things here, there are implications here that I think speak across the ages. And one of the temptations that I sense among Christians today is to put too much weight and too much trust and too much confidence in government, in the emperor, in the president, and so we're so up when he or she or they do what we think he, she, or they ought to or when they make decisions we believe are most consistent with what the Word of God teaches. We are up and we're high and we're excited. Things are going to go the way they ought to go, the way they used to go. And, and the gospel is going to spread and good things are going to happen and more people are going to become Christians and all of that. And I think, I just want to challenge, you may disagree with this, but I want to challenge you to reconsider that kind of mentality. The president, the Congress, the House, the Senate, the people who are sitting on the bench, those people aren't going to determine the course of the kingdom of God. They don't do that. I'm not saying we ought to just sit back and, and, and just, you know, not care at all. But we definitely ought not to care too much. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but more importantly, remember that you have God's image stamped on your soul and you are submissive to him. And our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate goal, our, our, our reason for being is to render to God everything else. God is God when Tiberius was on the throne in Rome and, and when he passed it to Augustus and, and, and to Nero and, you know, and on and on and on and on and on. And, and if we learn anything from, from the Bible, from the scope of Scripture, and especially as we go into like the book of Revelation when the Christians were struggling and they're like, why is this happening? What are you doing? And, and all this stuff. And God, God's message through the book of Revelation, I know it's a complex thing, but God's message through the book of Revelation is, I'm in control. I will accomplish my will. I will, I will 
avenge those who set themselves in opposition to me. Render to God the things that are God's. And so I want to challenge us as Christians. Don't get too excited when your guy gets in the, in, in the, in the seat. And don't get too sad when he doesn't. Don't put too much hope in whatever fiscal policy or whatever policy it is that is near and dear to your heart. Don't put, don't put too much hope in that policy, being able to work the things of God's kingdom. Put a whole lot more, and I know, I, I know you agree with this. I know you agree with this. It's just reminding us, okay? God does His work, by and large, not through the people sitting in powerful places. Now he's, at different times in history, He's chosen you. He, he chose Darius, and He uses some emperors occasionally, and He uses some important, rich, powerful people. He does, he does that occasionally. God can do that if He wants to. Usually, though, the way He works, He works through men and women, who recognize the superscription and image of God is on their soul. And so they go about their work Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, Monday afternoon and Thursday night, and at the hospital and at the ballpark, and on Facebook, and Twitter and Instagram. That they realize wherever they are, wherever they're engaging, however they're interacting with people, that they are the divine, they're, they're, they're wearing, they're, they're bearing on their bodies the image of Jesus Christ and they're living that every day. And that is how God does his kingdom work for the most part, not through the Tiberiuses of the world. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And I think that, that Paul echoes that in Romans 13, submit, be respectful. But don't put your hope there. Don't put your confidence there. Pay your, pay your fair tax. Do that. But remember, your ultimate allegiance has always been and always will be to the one who created you with his image on your soul. And that's how we relate. I know this is a big topic. This is a big topic. Bigger than this. But that is one little entry point, entryway into a discussion about how we relate to God and government and taxes and politics. We are wearing God's superscription on our souls. If you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you. We invite you. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Perhaps you've been wrestling with faith matters, trying to decide what you believe, what's real, what's true trying to decide if the way you've been doing it's working, if it's the real thing or not, trying to sort through some struggles that you've got going on, some confusion, whatever it is. We'd love to talk to you about, about the Lord. We'd, we'd like to talk to you about what He has shown us through His Word. We'd like to study with you about Jesus. We believe that you, no matter how badly you've marred that image, we believe you were created in the image of God. And we believe that you still bear that image in your soul. You messed it up. We've all messed it up some. But, but what Christianity is about is God, God picks you up.
God gets a hold of you and he starts clearing off all that garbage and all that stuff that you put on it and he starts shining up that image of God that's in your life and in your heart. And we'd love to just join hands with God and, and just help each other work on, work on this thing that we're, we're doing. If you're ready to become a Christian, we invite you to come to be baptized into him. All your sins washed away and God begins that, the Bible word for this is sanctification. He, he begins shining off that image that's on your soul to make you more and more and more of what he created you to be. We invite you to come to make that confession today. <clears throat> if you need to come back home to him today, we invite you back as well. Let's stand and let's sing the song.